2: Good morning, this is Bennett Kelly broadcasting live from the Internet Law Center here in downtown beautiful Santa Monica, California, the heart of Silicon Beach. Please be seated. we got a great show for you today, and it is an important day of all days. Today is the um, Internet Day of Action to Save Net Neutrality, and there is a bevy of sites all across the internet including um, twitter amazon reddit netflix okcupid etsy kickstarter and vimeo and others who are are protesting the fcc's decision to um, reverse and the fcc's position on net neutrality and so we're going to be talking about that during the show and our guest is Joshua Steger. He is the policy counselor and governmental affairs lead at the New American Foundation's Open Technology Institute. And as a shout out, I want to thank FreePress.org um, for hooking us up with Joshua um, on short notice. So, Joshua, um, welcome. Can can you hear us?
3: Yep, I'm here.
2: And um, so, you're, you're called, You are at the in Washington today. That's right. And um, so tell us briefly, what is the new technology institute, excuse me, the Open Technology Institute?
3: Uh, The Open Technology Institute is a cross-disciplinary group of technologists uh, and lawyers and government affairs experts uh, who works on a wide variety of issues to keep the internet an open and free platform. Uh, We've been, since the inception of our organization about 10 years ago, very actively involved in the fight to defend and protect net neutrality. Uh, So we've also been very involved in helping to organize today's Day of Action.
2: So uh, tell me about this Day of Action. You know, what le- led to it? What's the, and what's the, what is the hope? What is, what is this hoping to achieve?
3: Sure. Uh, so today's Day of Action is really bringing together thousands of Internet users and websites to mobilize support for net neutrality and specifically for the net neutrality rules That the FCC enacted two years ago in 2015. Uh, Those rules are now under threat because the new chairman of the FCC, who was appointed by President Trump, a man named Ajit Pai, has proposed a rulemaking that would repeal the 2015 rules. Uh, Ajit Pai was a vocal opponent of the last proceeding and is seeking to reverse them, um, the rules. Uh, So today's action is about mobilizing support, grassroots support, and raising public awareness about the threat of this proposal. And the hope is that by doing so and by having all of these websites have various banners and pop-ups, to educate the public that they can also drive comments to the FCC and to Congress. Uh, the the deadline for public comments on this proposal at the FCC is Monday. So that's why today we're seeing so much activity.
2: And um, I looked earlier this morning and there was something like already several million comments. Um, what is your, do you have a goal and how, what you, what you'd like to achieve?
3: Sure. Uh, so it's it's really a couple of different goals. So. The last time we had this net neutrality fight at the FCC, this was in 2014, and the, the public comment docket uh, broke several times, and there was a record-breaking 4 million Americans who submitted comments. That, Just to give you some context, most FCC proceedings usually get, if they're big, maybe 100, 200,000 comments. The prior record was about a million comments in 2004 about Janet Jackson's. Super Bowl wardrobe malfunction so to get four million comments (laughs) on you know an issue you know relatively esoteric to the American public sent a very loud message both to the FCC and at the time President Obama that the public actually cares about this issue and those comments really helped push that FCC and President Obama to enact very strong net neutrality rules in 2015. So, the goal this time around is to send a very similar message to now Chairman Pai and President Trump that the American public is still paying attention, still cares about this issue, and thought that the FCC got it right two years ago. Now, the, the secondary goal and what makes it a little bit different now from 2014 is that we're really trying to drive comments to Congress. This FCC and this administration is frankly, pretty hostile to this idea. They, uh, they pretty much are carrying the water for some of the big ISPs like AT&T and Comcast who want to see these rules repealed. So even if we get you know, 4 million or even 10 million comments this time around, these, the protests here are reaching a much more hostile audience at the FCC. So the fear is that they will shift to Congress, and Congress may try to undo these rules legislatively, so and that that was not really a big concern the last go around in 2014. So we're also trying to drive comments to people's representatives and senators to tell them to back off that people you know care about keeping net neutrality and keeping the internet the way it's always been, and to not start mucking around it with legislation
2: and 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 so that is a, a, an important point to highlight is that. While we, we hope you hope to get comments on the proposal, you know there is a concern, uh, or just realistically speaking, you don't think uh, you know Chairman Pai is really good. you could have a gazillion uh, comments, and, and the FCC may not you know waver in its position, um, but Congress may may be different.
3: Right, right. And so, Chairman Pai has already said, even before this docket opened um, in May, um, he cast doubt on whether he would even pay any attention to any of the comments in the docket, because of course, this public comment period is just something that's legally required under any SEC rulemaking under what's called the Administrative Procedure Act. Uh, the FCC doesn't just, you know, do it out of its own, you know, sense of good government. They are legally required to do so, and then to make sure that any rulemaking they promulgate in the future is based on evidence they find in this public record. So they don't have to go back and look and say, well, gee, how many comments in this docket supported net neutrality or didn't? They really just are trying to find any evidence in there to support what they already want to do. Uh, Moreover, the docket has been uh, plagued by alleged cyber attacks. Um, Back in May, the website was down quite a bit, and we're um, pretty concerned that this could happen again today, which prevented people from submitting comments. And the FCC said, oh, there was a DDoS attack, but they haven't been forthcoming about details or have even indicated that they've taken any steps to prevent this from happening again. So there's a lot of concern that comments towards the FCC will fall on deaf ears or will quite literally just not be received because of technical problems.
2: No, I know some in the Senate uh, has sent a letter to the FCC that they better be on their game today um, to handle comments expected from the protests. And I'm looking at the docket right now. It looks like we're at 6.5 million or approximately five, 6.5 million um, comments so far and um, 1 million in the last 30 days. So,
3: yeah, that shows a real groundswell. I mean, we I believe we broke the twenty fourteen record of four million comments in late May, just within like about ten days of when the docket had opened. So just in terms of raw numbers, it certainly does help to point to the the huge surge of of interest in this issue. And that, even if it doesn't surprise the FCC, can be effective with Congress because, you know, many people in Congress, don't think of this as a particularly political issue that the average voter understands. But when they're confronted with a docket bursting with millions of comments, they tend to take a second look. And, you know, we saw an example of this um, in March when Congress tried to very quietly repeal the broadband privacy rules that the FCC had enacted, which they did. They repealed it. But the enormous public backlash that they received afterwards, including a lot of angry people at town halls in April, uh, really shocked a lot of members of Congress. So showing that the public is just frankly even paying attention to this and is aware of it can have a real impact on the Hill.
2: And the, there is a, a precedent. And you know, it goes six years ago, and uh, there was a uh, basically the internet went on strike, where 115,000 websites um, went dark to protest the Stop Online Part Piracy Act, also known as SOPA, and they triggered more than 10 million voters to contact Congress. And as a an immediate result, the next day. 95 members of Congress switched their position overnight, including 11 um, sponsors of the legislation who now switch to the opposition. So there is, you know, evidence that this can have uh, a dramatic effect. But the, I guess the question I ask you, as someone who just came from the Hill, um, that was six years ago. It, it seems that we have a different Congress today, and are, would they be as responsive to such a backlash? Since you know we're we're seeing this Congress pursue policies that are definitely unpopular in terms of healthcare.
3: Yeah, it's it's a great point that the obviously the political dynamics have changed from when the the SOPA/PIPA fight happened. Um, I think you know at the time when the SOPA groundswell happened, there was a, a thinking that oh maybe this was a, a one off incident. This you know this groundswell of public support and melting down of Congress's phone lines for a day might never happen again. And the the repeated sort of uh, calls from the net roots on net neutrality after that whole Sopa Pippa activism six years ago uh, has really sent a message to the Hill that this is something that Americans do care about. So the, the, the political context has changed, but there is at least greater awareness that this is something that voters do care about. Um, it, the other distinction here is that, of course, More members of Congress are aware of this issue and are aware of what the FCC is doing Uh, back when the SOPA-PIPA legislation was moving through. uh, That was something that, frankly, many in Congress, they, they first heard about it when they got a million calls from their constituents on one day in January of 2012, I believe it was. Uh, and so they really were taken off guard. So of course now they're getting these phone calls and hearing about it from the constituents, and it's it's not news to them. They they are at least aware of this fight because it has been going on at the FCC and in Washington for the better part of a decade.
2: It has, um, yes. Now, so let's go back to that. Um, well, actually, one quick question before we go back: Is there a concern that unlike in you know the SOPA time period? Here you actually have a very crowded uh, agenda in terms of there's you have two other major stories going on that are just seem to be taking the oxygen out of everything else, and that being the healthcare care and the Russian scandal.
3: Yeah, I think you know if, if we get to a point where there is legislation that's moving um, and they need to actually get, floor time to vote on something then absolutely these other competing priorities uh... could crowd out the agenda but at the committee level in congress uh, frankly a lot of them are wide open and the and the senate commerce committee in particular which is chaired by senator john Thune of south dakota uh... there has been tremendous interest In moving forward on a bill on this issue and they have been very willing on that committee to to make time for what's going on at the FCC Uh, for example just um, a week ago uh, President Trump nominated um, Brendan Carr to fill one of the open seats on the FCC and John Thune has already announced that confirmation hearing is happening next week that's very quick and it demonstrates that in reality this Congress can still move pretty quickly when they want to Healthcare is certainly bogging down a lot of other aspects of the Hill, but on telecom issues, they can move quickly, and they have been working on something like this for many years. Uh, Senator Soon introduced a bill on net neutrality uh, three years ago now that, uh, you know, frankly, he just needs to dust off and reintroduce at any point if he wants to. So some of this could, you know, help bog down the issues, but it really, it really can move quickly if they
2: wanted to. So let's back up. To, I guess it was it would have been 2014 and 2015 um, when the notice of proposed rulemaking was made for the the current net neutrality proposal, and there was this huge backlash um, to encourage the FCC to actually make a determination that. Yeah, broadband services is covered under Title Two of the FCC's authority, which is basically its common carrier authority. Tell us, tell us how um, that came about.
3: Sure. Well, that came about really after a, a more than decade long roller coaster of just trying to figure out what authority the FCC can use to to really do any kind of rulemaking when it comes to ISPs. Uh, so in, t- in two thousand and two, the FCC initially concluded, under uh, the Bush administration, that they would classify the internet as a, a Title I information service. Um At the time, you know that was pretty controversial, and it went all the way up to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court upheld that interpretation, although there was a notable dissent from Justice Scalia uh, where he said it's pretty clear that you know the internet is is a Title II common carrier. Not all that dissimilar. From the the telephone networks that have been titled to for you know decades, and when it came around time for the FCC to enforce net neutrality uh, through enforcement actions and rules, um, we're now talking 2008 and 2010. They tried to do it under this Title I framework. And every time they tried to do it, the ISP sued, they went to the DC Circuit Court of Appeals, and the DC Circuit said, nope, you can't do it. What you're trying to do here is treat ISPs like common carriers. You have to do that under Title II, that's the only authority that's left. So basically the SEC tried to have it both ways and tried to enforce net neutrality without reclassifying ISPs as Title II carriers and every time the courts hit them back. So when it came to 2014, the FCC had nothing left. Their their last attempt at rules were thrown out in federal court and the the federal court made very clear, you if you want to do this, you have to reclassify under title 2. So with really no other options left, that's what the FCC did. And, of course, the ISPs went back and sued again, and the D.C. Circuit finally took a third look at this, and the third time was a charm, and they said, basically, great, you did what we've been telling you to do for years. As long as you're doing it under Title II authority, you can enforce the neutrality rules. Now, Title II is, of course, very uh, politically controversial with the ISPs. It's a stronger regulatory mechanism. And that is what Comcast and AT&T want to repeal. And that's what Chairman Pai wants to get rid of. But because of this pretty strong case law on this issue now for the past 10 years, it's clear that there is no legal way for the FCC to enforce any kind of net neutrality rules without using Title II. So if they get rid of Title II, there's really nothing left for the FCC to do.
2: And just for the point of clarity, the the current rules that are in place that were adopted in 2015 were upheld by the D.C. Circuit in, I believe, 2016.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. It was just a, about one year ago um, in, in June. Right. They they upheld the order in its entirety. It was a pretty sweeping victory for the FCC and for the 2015 rules.
2: OK, so we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk more about this topic, but but more or less uh, talking about what it is that, F, that net neutrality is trying to achieve. And, and why um, the current proposal is dangerous for the Internet. And so we'll be back after these messages. You're listening to Cyber Law and Business Report, only on cranberry.fm.
1: Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief
4: recess for our sponsors. Looking for a white-label SEO and social platform for your clients? Think eBrands. Free and unlimited SEO audit reports. eBrands. Premium Facebook apps and welcome page creators. E-Brands. Twitter management app analytics and mobile site generators. E-Brands. Check out exclusive listener pricing for Cranberry Radio Listeners by going to bit.ly slash foundercircle.
0: Is your website hacked? Is your website displaying error messages or loading slowly? Even if there are no signs of malicious activity, your site may still be compromised. Websites, like cars, require regular maintenance to perform at their best and not leave you stranded. At Fjord, our website maintenance experts can help you assess which one of our maintenance plans will best support your needs. Visit FjordDigital.com or call 612 877 3840. And get the support and protection your website and business deserve. That's fjorgedigital.com. digitalcom
1: Synergize your search engine education from 101 to Rockstar level. Only on Cranberry Radio. Cranberry.fm. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report.
2: Here is Bennett Kelly. And we're back and we're talking about the Internet Day of Protest in support of net neutrality, and we have Joshua Stagger with us. Um, As usual, we have information on Joshua and this topic on our show notes at cyberlawradio.wordpress.com. And there are links to how you there to how you can get involved in today's Day of Action. And um, so, Joshua, we we, we're when we broke, we talked about how the the process of net neutrality and how we got to this point. What is why is net neutrality important? What are, what is does it try to achieve, or more importantly, what does it seek to prevent?
3: So net neutrality in its its most distilled form is just a principle of non-discrimination. It's saying that your ISP, whether it's ATT, Comcast, Verizon, whoever, doesn't get to control the access, what content you access as the end user. This is a a basic non-discrimination principle that has been essentially baked into the nature of the internet since its uh, its initial creation. And what the we really didn't need sort of any formal rules to protect that for the initial few decades of the internet because control over these networks was was pretty diffuse. There was no one or two big ISPs that controlled access, you know, 20 years ago, Comcast was just a a regional Philly cable company that certainly didn't have nationwide brand recognition. And now it's one of the biggest companies in the world. Right. So why we're hearing about net neutrality so much now is that in the past several decades, control over access to the internet has consolidated pretty dramatically to the point where now there are just four big ISPs, um, charter, Verizon, AT&T, and Comcast that control over 80% of access to the internet for Americans. So we now are in a position where there's concern that these big ISPs have enough market share that they can become gatekeepers to the internet. They can essentially try to uh, control access to content and create access fees. So creating new, t- basically, turn the information superhighway into a toll road where. Right now, you know, you just have to pull up any web address to access whatever website you want, and that's sort of the end of the game as long as you're you're paying for that access from Comcast. But without net neutrality and without rules enforcing it, Comcast could also say, oh, hey, if you're going to try to pull up Netflix, we're also going to charge Netflix a second fee so that they can actually reach you as the end user. Essentially, what this does is creates a ton of new fees in the Internet ecosystem that have never existed before and creates an internet fast lane and an internet slow lane. So the fast lane is for all of the the deep-pocketed websites that can afford to pay for it and the consumers who can afford to pay for it and a slow lane for everyone else. That would effectively destroy the internet as we know it. All of the innovation, all of the the great democratizing and economic benefits that have come from the Internet would gradually erode as these big ISPs consolidate their grip on the Internet itself and all of its potential.
2: Now, FCC Chairman Pai says, you know, I hear you, but that's just theoretical. None of this stuff ever happens. Yeah,
3: so... The chairman Pai did say that that the that the internet was not broken uh, in 2015 when these rules were passed. But um, one of the things at, here at OTI uh, that we do is participate in something called the Measurement Lab, which sort of measures the the health of the internet. And what we found was in 2013 and 2014, in reality, this has happened. Uh, the internet was very much broken, and these these harms that we are talking about are not theoretical that they have been happening um the what we detected were was massive congestion happening in 2013 and 2014 for literally millions of american internet users who were just they didn't know it but they would just know at certain peak hours if they tried to access netflix or any other high bandwidth video traffic it just wasn't working uh, and for weeks and months on end and what we were finding was that in reality these their, their Comcast, AT&T, and Verizon were allowing their interconnection points to congest. This is something that's sort of a, an opaque part of the Internet that most people don't know about, don't hear about, but it's, it's the backbone of the Internet. Companies like Level 3 and Cogent that pretty much all Internet traffic flows over these networks. And what Comcast and AT&T and Verizon were trying to do was say, hey, you guys have to pay up you typically haven't paid up in the past to interconnect to us, but we're going to just let our ports inter- it congest and let our customers not have access to all of your, your traffic until you pay up. And what hap- that's what happened. Eventually, they gave in in 2014, and they upgraded the interconnection, and the congestion went away. But what that effectively did was break the Internet for all of these people. And, at the, and you look back at consumer f- forums back at the time, and you see all these people – writing desperately they were beyond frustrated saying you know what's what's going on why is my internet not working i call up my isp they're not giving me any information or they're saying just upgrade your service package and it's still not helping so that whole incident was it 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 really went under the radar it got a little bit of press attention but what we really saw was that that helped inform the fcc's rulemaking in 2015 to say you know this is actually a big problem. It's impacting millions of Americans. They don't know it, but this is why their Internet was slowing down for so often, so many nights over the, in 2013 and 2014, and that's why there needs to be federal action.
2: And, and there are a couple other points I think that are worth highlighting. One is censorship. And it hasn't happened that often, but when Verizon was challenging the net neutrality regs, it claimed in court that it had a First Amendment right to censor traffic on its network.
3: Absolutely, and, and and they even said in that in that same oral argument that but for any FCC rules, they would try to be engaging in these types of activities like censorship, like paid prioritization. So, yeah, it's definitely a real concern, and it's something that people have been talking about for many years, and often it was sort of laughed off as, as a... A sort of pie in the sky chicken little fear, like, oh, of course, your ISP isn't going to censor you. But now, ever since you know we've had this new Trump administration, uh, people are actually getting a bit more concerned about you know who controls the media and who controls access to that. And a lot of the big ISPs now actually own media, so Comcast, in addition to being the nation's largest ISP, owns NBC and particularly MSNBC and verizon they just purchased yahoo and what's interesting about that is through that acquisition they also acquired a website called tumblr tumblr was a major leading participant in some of these internet shutdown or slowdown days in the past Uh, the sopa Pippa fight that we talked about in 2012 also the 2014 slowdown day but they just got bought out by Verizon just a month ago. They are not participating suddenly in today's internet slowdown day. It certainly looks a lot like Tumblr is being censored by their new corporate owners, Verizon. So there, there really is a concern about what happens when ISPs start to vertically integrate, start to get more involved in media properties and become more than just
2: ISPs. This is the another issue is innovation in competition a number of the major ISPs have at one point blocked services that were competitive to services they've offered offered by them. Um, ATT sprint Verizon all blocked, you know, things from Google wallet to Skype and uh, another ISP is actually, if you put in a search it, in, in one browser, it came up in their preferred browser, not the one you chose. And, and so Without net neutrality, you have the ability of the ISPs to determine the services that you use and not necessarily allowing the free market to allow innovation to determine which ones should succeed.
3: Absolutely. And this is really the the, the issue that scares me the most about a, a world in which we don't have any kind of net neutrality protections. Um, you know, so much of the, the, the Internet economy that we have today, it's really the the greatest driver of economic growth and job creation that we've had in the past several decades uh, would, would cease to exist if we didn't have these net neutrality principles in place if we have the big ISPs con- controlling who are the winners and losers in the internet economy that means they effectively get to say who are the winners and losers of every, of every business, of every aspect of the economy because there's really no sector now that doesn't rely in some way on its presence in the internet to reach customers We've seen some initial examples of this, as you mentioned with Skype. Um, certainly online streaming services like Netflix have become a canary in the coal mine. But these are just the the first examples as these companies get more and more involved in other types of the other parts of the economy, they have an incentive to stifle competition and to shut out competitors in a wide variety of sectors.
2: Now, it's interesting you were talking about you know how Tumblr had participated in other protests, but was not now because of now being owned by verizon what's interesting is one of the participants in today's day of protest is (laughs) at&t even though they've they've filed the lawsuit to challenge the net neutrality regulation so it seems like it they're being somewhat duplicitous on this what's your reaction
3: um yeah i'd say more than somewhat duplicitous fully duplicitous (laughs) uh the the Literally hours before they announced that they would somehow participate in this day of action. They also uh, Filed a motion at the Supreme Court to continue It's their lawsuit to overturn the net neutrality rules Uh, this you know to me this this sounded like when uh, President Trump said that he Got Vladimir Putin to engage on a a cybersecurity initiative. This is just not this is not who you partner with Um, you know, we certainly Welcome all kinds of participants in this, but the whole reason that we're having this day of action to begin with is because at and continues to fight net neutrality because they are continuing to sue to overturn the rules and push for legislation in Congress. As far as we're concerned, this issue is settled. We, you know, we fought for years to get strong rules in the books, and we finally got them, and we went and have the courts rule on this as well. And in reality, we were looking forward to at the end of last year to finally being able to turn the page on this issue and turn to other Internet policy issues like the digital divide, like actually just, you know, making the Internet more affordable and more accessible for everybody. Because while net neutrality is important, it's really just about keeping the Internet the way it always has been. And there are a lot of other big things that, you know, we need to work on. So AT&T has really been getting in the way of that, and they you know, have routinely been the, the biggest force in, in stopping us from being able to turn the page on this issue and focus on a lot of the other big issues at hand. Um, but you know, if AT&T wants to, to join the fight, uh, they are more than welcome to, but the, the biggest thing that they could do to demonstrate that would be to both drop their lawsuit and to stop spending literally billions of dollars in lobbying against net neutrality on Capitol Hill.
2: Now um going back to Capitol Hill. So let's you talked about Senator Thune having a bill on net neutrality. How how confident are you of the ability to for Congress to find a compromise that salvages, you know, the essential port portions of net neutrality?
3: So uh I think you know it's it's a really open question even though, you know, they now the Republicans now control both the House and the Senate and the White House their ability to move legislation and to actually govern has obviously uh, been in question um, on a wide variety of issues. And on this particular issue, um, in the wake of the, the, the broadband privacy repeal that I mentioned earlier, which happened in March, uh, there have been a lot of um, Republicans even in Congress who have felt the backlash and are a little concerned about doing anything else on anything related to ISPs because they've gotten a lot of heat from their constituents. So while Senator Thune very much you know, wants to move his bill or a bill that looks like it and quite a few others in Congress would like to do that as well, there are a lot of people on the Hill who are starting to realize that this might not be a political winner for them. So if they get enough heat, if they get enough public attention, the, the very consistent history on just about any telecom issue on Capitol Hill is if it gets public attention – if there's evidence that there that voters are actually paying attention congress tends to back off and not and not interfere with it but when the issues go under the radar when the public doesn't indicate that they're paying attention congress tends to move pretty quickly in doing whatever comcast and att lobbyists are asking them to do
2: but here you would want congress not to back off but to act because it doesn't seem like a greel to stop the fcc
3: Uh, So actually, no, in this case, I I don't want them to act. Um, There's a theory that the the real play here from Chairman Pai is to not actually enact any kind of rulemaking. It's it's honestly pretty unclear what rule he can actually put forward that can repeal these rules legally. Uh, There's a lot of sort of legal constraints that he has on what he can do under the Administrative Procedure Act and a lot of other constraints And whatever he does, he'll probably have to face a lawsuit. So the theory is that he might actually just be trying to create such uncertainty that it puts pressure on Congress to feel like, well, we have to come in and clean up this mess. Um, Josh, let me me interrupt you.
2: Because you, you have a hard stop, and I want to thank you very much for joining us. So, And I know you, you have a hard stop, and you have to go. Um, so but thank you again. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Uh, we have information on the blog on how to contact you, and um, best of luck today. And thanks again for joining us.
3: Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks.
2: And um, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll have more on net neutrality and other news updates. You're listening to Cyber Law and Business Report, only on cranberry.fm.
1: Stay tuned for more of the Cyberlaw Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Hi, I'm Montel Williams. Most of you know me as a talk show host, but I'm also an author, actor, single father of four, avid snowboarder, and I'm also a medical marijuana patient. Living with multiple sclerosis, I'm in pain every day. Medical marijuana is my last resort, and it helps me when all other drugs have failed. If you'd like more information about medical marijuana, you can contact the Marijuana Policy Project at MPP.org or call 1-877-JOIN-MPP. The best gavel-to-gavel legal...
0: Cranberry Radio is your new destination for education entertainment and engagement get educated and entertained by our panel of on-air experts and peers and engage with us anytime by following us on twitter facebook google plus and linkedin so you can reach us before and after every program located on our new social shareable live streaming player access the new cranberry radio live stream player at our website cranberry.fm
1: More refreshing talk radio on air and on demand 24 7. Only on Cranberry Radio. The best gavel to gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Here is Bennett Kelly.
2: I want to thank Josh again for um, joining us on very short notice, and uh, we're really thrilled. He was able to do this, and I thought he did made a really compelling case on the net neutrality issue, and um, just some more background on this topic. We actually have a I have, a, or I should say, we I have a post in Huffington Post today on the need to action. It's called "It's Time to Speak Up to Save Your Internet," and there's a link on the blog as well to the. Um, to the article, so if you want to go there, or you can just Google me under under Huffington Post. But um, a lot of the points that we made, uh, you know, that were made by Josh were, were covered in that piece. And one thing we, we didn't get to talk about much, and which you know, Chairman Pai doesn't think the FCC needs to address, was the fact that ISPs were blocking um, content or blocking services that were disfavored or um, throttling um, users and throttling means they keep trying to disconnect you so you can't continue to stream or do whatever and uh, AT&T was actually throttling users un- under unlimited data plans who they felt were using too much data so what you know what the hell is an unlimited data plan if you get throttled if you use too much and so um, Chairman Pai doesn't seem to think that's a concern in his uh, proposed rulemaking. He asked for comments about whether we need to even need to do anything about that. He seems to think that's just theoretical when there's you know evidence is plainly there that it's not that's not the case that this is a problem. And Chairman Pai also um, you know, just wants to keep his head in the sand on that while at the same time he's pushing out this canard that somehow net neutrality has led to less investment in broadband services when actually it's the opposite. Broadband investment has gone up. So this is about enabling a free and robust internet. And right now, um, the internet economy, if it was a separate economy, would be the sixth largest in the world. And basically, it is, you know, it's been a great source of innovation, a great source of job growth. And Chairman Pai basically wants to mess with that. He, he's going to stifle innovation, and, and it's just ludicrous. Why would, you, why would you mess with that? And so that's what today's fight is about. Today's fight is about saying, um, this is my internet. And you, know, you, you hear a lot from those who are opposing net neutrality that somehow the net neutrality rules where some government take over the internet. That's complete nonsense. So let me give you, um, tell you how far back these principles go in the 1860 um, Pacific Telegraph Act. 1860 was the year Abraham Lincoln was elected. That's how far back we're going. And that act said you know, when telegraph providers were um, t- transmitting messages that they had to do it in the order they received it. They couldn't discriminate based on who the messages came from. And so this this principle that you know, you, you can't be a, a gatekeeper. You can't be a, a toll booth operator or discriminate at what gets through and what doesn't. Um, goes back to the days of the Pony Express, basically. And, and so, to, to all of a sudden say that this is now you know, not discriminating is a government takeover is nonsense. What is a takeover is what they want to do. They want to turn over the internet from being controlled by us, the people to the big corporate interests that control the ISPs. And, and so that's what this is about. And that's why there's a lot of concern, particularly since, if you, if you, I don't know if you heard our show two weeks ago, where we had um, a discussion about the Gawker case um, and the, the issues that are going on there um, in terms of Peter Thune trying to put Gawker out of business and other issues in connection with um the Las Vegas Review Journal with Sheldon Edelson buying it to more or less stop negative press about him, and then President Trump's war uh, against the free press, you know. And so, um, again, that that was a documentary. Nobody speak trials of the free press. You know, this is all happening in the same context, and this is about us saying we want a free and open internet. We want a robust debate on the internet, and you know, we believe a free press is an important part of a, a, a function in democracy. And, and these are very important points. And then, so I feel very strongly about this, and that's why we're, we're very proud to be part of this, you know, this national protest on the Internet. And that's why we, we made a great effort to have someone on the show today for that purpose. So um, please, if you get a chance, look at the show notes or go to um, the websites and you know, um, involved on that and for example you can go to um, I think it's battle for the internet um, battle for the net calm has a list of all the participants and you'd be amazed at um, the number of sites um, involved and and it's not you know, just it's a whole variety of sites uh, including um, you know funny or die um, <laughs> is one Spotify um, and just look at you know, looking at some of the ones on. Listen to here, um, Greenpeace, uh, Electronic Frontier Foundation, um, a bunch of you know Creative Commons, Consumer Reports, you know, and on and on. Vimeo, GitHub, Kickstarter, Netflix, Amazon, and um, so this is a, a big day for the internet, and I hope you'll um, participate, and I hope you will get involved. And because uh, it, it's that important, so so um, in addition, I want to give you some news updates of what's going on. And uh, one is just a quick shout out. Today is the 55th anniversary of the Rolling Stones' first concert in the Marquee Club. Today, so just how old would you be if you saw that concert? If you think you were 20 years old, so you're, those 75-year-olds today are reminiscing about. Um, that day, and uh, it is, I think Spotify actually has the set list um, so you can actually listen to the songs they played. So, uh, th- th- those guys are still going quite amazingly, in- including Keith Richards. So, a shout out to them. Um, we have some news updates, and uh, I don't know if you saw the reports about Rob Kardashian and Black China. Uh, I, I was interviewed by ABC News on that. And uh, we have a link to my my interview and comments about the case on the, in the show notes. And basically, I, I thought it was a textbook case of revenge porn, uh, unless you know there's some element that she consented, which which what wasn't the case apparently, since she was able to get a restraining order, you know, a week later. And so these things, and, and I, I, it's it's reprehensible what Kunderashian did, but in some ways maybe it's a it's a good thing, in, in that it's a you know, it will bring awareness on this issue and and you know that maybe something good will come out of this very vile act that he did and and so people realize you know the internet isn't the wild wild west and it remains to be seen whether there'll be any criminal prosecution but for the time being at least at least um black china has been able to get a restraining order uh to stop him doing this any further um also in the news um First of all, a shout out to our, our fellow host Jim Hedger, uh, a good, good Canadian, um, on we we can Canada Day, which was July 1st, and it was the 150th birthday. Well, I didn't say birthday, the 150th uh, Canada Day for um, Canada, and uh, so they were quite proud, and had, it was a big celebration. I attended some huge party here in Los Angeles um connection with the consul uh, consulate's office here and um but a very important thing that happened on Canada Day was the um they um Brasco they um important thing that happened was the um government dropping the private right of action and um excuse me one second and the um the Canada Canadian government in their spam law, they dropped the the currently the private right of action under the Canada spam law, which had damages up to you know over a million dollars. Um, they dropped the private right of action under that, and so what was supposed to go into effect on July first this year um, is not going into effect. So a lot of marketers are breathing the sigh of that the Canadian spam law is not going into effect, and. Um, so we have a link to, on that on the show notes. And then um, I want to talk a little bit about the Petcha ransomware attack. And that got a lot of attention. We've had two major ransomware attacks. Uh, one, a big one in May, the, the, the um, Gone and Cry ransomware attack. And now the Petcha, or not Petya as it's sometimes called ransomware attack. And what was interesting about the Petcha attack was that it had the ability, to, you know, to pay by ransomware and pay by Bitcoin. Um, but it, unlike other ransomware attacks, it, it didn't. Normally, ransomware works. And work, ransomware works is, you know, they seize part of your files, they encrypt them, you pay by Bitcoin, and then they unencrypt the files and you get it back. This attack just destroyed the files. In addition, the method by to pay, they used a single email address, which was easily shut down in a matter of hours. So they only made just a small amount by a couple of thousand dollars, um, despite the widespread reach of the the ransomware. And and so it was initially publicized as a ransomware attack as the event went on and as people got some distance from it, they're realizing that it was actually a state actor attack. And it's led to a great deal of discussion about what what should what should be done in these cases. And it's led to a discussion of NATO to what extent if that had been since it was largely directed at Ukraine, um, but NATO had made some statements that, you know, had this been a NATO party it may have triggered obligations under NATO, uh, Article 5, that an attack on one is attack on all, and that this may have been, you know, in the future, if this was on a NATO party, this could trigger uh, an obligation to respond uh, in defense of w- that NATO country. And so that's a very important point, and there's some discussions going on about how do we act in response to um, these type of attacks, what steps should we be taken to confirm the source of such an attack? Because you don't want to go off to war based on misinformation. And so to the extent that we are talking about these attacks you know, being uh, the equivalent of acts of war, there's some debate going on, and Microsoft has put out a discussion that maybe we need the equivalent of... The Atomic International Atomic Energy Commission, to which you know inspects nuclear sites at countries suspected of having nuclear weapons, you know maybe we need something like that to evaluate uh, whether or not you know, something was originated from a particular country, uh, in order to prevent any any wars based on false information, and, and so. Not that you know the Atomic Energy Commission stopped uh, the Iraq war, which was also based on false information but um it's an important point it's a debate that needs to be having but unfortunately, when you have the Trump administration right now that considers any discussion of um, hacking or attacks cyber attacks from Russia being you know being somehow connected to the allegations it's colluding it colluded with the russian government during the campaign you know there's absolutely no leadership coming from the united states on this issue and uh, this is a very important time actually where we need some leadership we need to be addressing this and we need to figure out you know what what is our posture because you know we could stumble into a conflict if there is another attack that next time targets a nato country so that that's a big concern and, and that's something where we really need to uh, we need greater focus, I think greater leadership from the White House and I think it's something that Congress should be looking at you know and kind of analyzing how how do we want to proceed? What do we need to know before we decide it's we can act um, militarily in response to a cyber strike, and you know we, we'll be trying to have guests on that. To uh, address that and you know flesh that out and you know, educate uh, our listeners on that, but um, it's it's a, it's a troubling point and it's it's um it's disappointing that the administration has not led on this and so but um so those are some of the major updates that we have going on and um but the big story today by and large is the net neutrality debate and uh, we, we need to. Address that, and uh, um, it's important that you, if you get, having sure you have your voice heard. And um, so, we'll be back in um, next week. We're gonna have a, another important story, also connected to the issue of, of a free press. And we're gonna have Margot Owen um, from the Reporters Without Borders. Um, they released their annual World Press Freedom Index, and it's it's a troubling report. Particularly in, in, in how they rank the United States as in, in it it being, um, you know, in terms of free press criteria, the United States rank has tumbled, um, due to a number of recent events, including president the election of President Trump, um, and so that will be next week, and then the week after, um, we're going to talk with a uh, 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 someone who's written a book about a uh, Silicon Beach um, company. Um, the Los Angeles Clippers, you know, they actually have their practice facility here in Silicon Beach, but um, he's written the kind of the definitive book, the first book to really go over the history of the Clippers since moving to California, and it's called The Curse, The Colorful and Chaotic History of the LA Clippers, and Mick Minas is the author, and we're going to have him the week after. So we have two good shows coming up for you, and I hope you'll be listening, And um, but again, today's an important day for the internet. If if you care about the internet, get involved, get out there, let your voice be heard. And so I want to thank our guest today for a great, um, great performance. He definitely you know put put the issues out there well. Uh, Joshua Stagger with the New American Foundation uh, and their Open Technology Institute. Um, there's links to it on the show notes. Um, thanks again to him. Um, thanks to all of you for listening. And get out there, let your voice be heard to save our net- internet. And uh, we'll see you next week. Have a great week.
4: The opinions expressed are those of the hosts and their guests and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of Cranberry News Marketing and Cranberry.fm. Rebroadcasts or retransmission of this content without proper consent is prohibited.